Episode 3 of Rice Spears Podcast, Staying Local. This week on the show, we have something a little different for you. Instead of an interview with an interesting council person, we have an audio recording of a webinar that I hosted last week on the 16th of April on the hot topic of modular buildings and modern methods of construction. Now, I know this is an area that many of you are interested in because I get calls and emails about it all the time. Towards the end of the webinar, some of the attendees shared their own perspectives, and I think you'll take a lot from it. There's a PowerPoint presentation that formed part of the webinar, and if anyone wants a copy of that, just send me an email, nathan at ricespear.co.nz. At the firm, we also do a regular newsletter that contains articles on some of the issues facing our council community. And again, if you'd like to receive that, please just drop me a line, nathan at ricespear.co.nz, or just give me a call. In the next episode, we'll be back with an interview with Jeff Farrenson from Auckland Council. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you know when that comes online. But in the meantime, grab a cup of coffee and I hope you enjoy. All right, uh, welcome everyone. Thank you very much for coming. Really appreciate it. And it's really great to, to be able to talk to you all about this interesting topic, well I think it's really interesting, of modular buildings and um, modern methods of construction. Bit of a mouthful, so I'm going to call it MMC moving forward. Um, but just, just to start with, uh, I'll introduce myself. So I'm Nathan Spear, I'm a partner at Rice Spear Lawyers, we're a, a firm in Auckland. Uh, and I've got with me Simon Walkins, who's a, a partner as well. And so together we lead the, the regulatory team at, at Rice Spear. So where are we heading with, with modern methods? First thing I want to talk about is what actually are modular buildings? What are modern methods of construction? We're going to look at what MB's position is because that's really the bedrock of, of this issue. Uh, and we're going to focus on Auckland Council's guidance document, which is a, a document that's available to them. And I know uh, they have done plenty of consultation with other BCAs around the country and non-BCAs. As we go through this, I'd, I'd really welcome uh, discussion rather than me just talk for the next half an hour. We can do that, but it just makes it much more interesting to have uh, your views and having just been through with everyone, it sounds like we, we all come at this issue from uh, different places and, and with different perspectives. So I'd really welcome your thoughts and comments. So the first point, what is a modular building? Well, in general terms, modular buildings are built using modular components that are elements prefabricated off-site. And the interesting part of that is that these uh, components either in, uh, are manufactured either in New Zealand or overseas. Where we tend to get involved is more of in the overseas uh, componentry. And so, because that, that's where more of these issues arise and, and where they get a bit more complicated. Uh, but the, the, the key point to, to note here is that a modular building can be anything from your tiny home on one side of the equation right through to uh, a fully built six or eight story hotel. And we'll, we'll look at a few of those. So it really is a, a wide spectrum. And it's a, it's a growing area. 
And I know that because I have the, uh, the benefit of speaking to so many councils around the country on, on what's coming in and, and what's on the horizon. And I'm sure you, you'll all have had a similar experience. Uh, just for those who are joining, I'd be grateful if you uh, just muted your Zoom just for the, until you, you want to say something, just so that we keep it relatively contained. Uh, and it's the other thing to, to note is it, it's not actually a new concept. I mean, you only have to think of every Lockwood home built around New Zealand, uh, and there are plenty of other examples. Um, but I think it's the, it's the overseas aspect of this, which is uh, increasing the anxiety in the industry and really promoting those questions of, you know, how do we deal with this? What about this? Um, have you thought about X, Y, Z? Okay. Well, let's move on then. What we're going to look at now is we're going to look at what MB stance is. Uh, so most of you know um, that uh, the Ministry of Business and Innovation and Employment really deals with uh, the, the regular regulation around the, the Building Act. And so MB have been very clear that building work carried out uh, outside of New Zealand is not building work as defined by the Act. And that's great. But it creates this problem of, well, okay, but as a BCA, we still need to make sure that when all of these components are assembled in New Zealand uh, into, into one uh, building, that that building complies with the Act and uh, by proxy the code. So that's really the, the challenge where uh, I get asked for advice all the time is, look, how do we actually deal with this? How, how does it work in, in practice? And so there's, there's plenty of uh, determinations out there uh, and in, in the slides, which I can send you afterwards, I, I can um, reference those determination references. But it's, it's very clear that MB is taking a bit of a standoffish approach. Having said that, um, they are consulting with the industry and there are changes afoot, I'm told. And that would be fantastic because what it means is that... Uh, because, because the, the regulations are so vague in this area and because there's not a lot of certainty, it's resulted in councils uh, effectively having to create their own process. And that's what we're going to look at shortly when we examine Auckland Council's approach and uh, some of the others that I've been involved in and, uh, and have looked under the hood. But there are some of these large-scale projects in New Zealand already, and the uh, the best example is the first modular hotel in Christchurch, which is now called the Arden Hotel. Uh, and I've, I've actually had the uh, pleasure of staying in the Arden Hotel. So I've seen it uh, firsthand. I've seen uh, the, or the quality of it. I've also discussed some of the um, interesting issues and challenges that confronted uh, the BCA in, in dealing with this project. The reason I, I add this slide uh, in is just to tell you that, look, this is already happening. And uh, not only is it already happening, there are more of these projects in the works. So the, the media, uh, I mean, you can go have a look at yourself, uh, for, uh, look at this yourself, but the media have, have jumped on a few things like, well, this promised to be uh, quicker, cheaper, more effective, uh, but actually... The, the project opened two years late. Well, you know, what, what project <laughs> um, opens on time these days? This is a slide, uh, it's a snip that's 
taken from one of the the modular component tree um, companies one of their websites and this shows you what's on the what's bubbling away at the moment in New Zealand so firstly we've got uh, gateway homes in Northcote uh, which seems to be two six-story towers with 102 and 78 apartments in, in Northcote here in Auckland and the bigger and or more interesting one uh, for me is the eight-story 245 room hotel that's uh, in the works here in Auckland, the Holiday Inn, and I've, I've actually spoken with, with Jeff Aronson at Auckland Council about what's going on in Auckland, and um, it's very clear to me that there is plenty going on and there's more to come. Uh, the Arden Hotel in Napier, 57-room hotel, five stories, which is at building consent stage. Uh, I haven't followed up on, on that one, but... Um, uh, something that popped up in my LinkedIn feed over the last week or so is, is this, which is from um, TLC Modular, which is a company um, creating these pods in, um, in Vietnam and sending them to New Zealand that what's on the horizon for the Mount Cook area is a well, what looks like a lodge, modular designed, speed of construction, less disruption. And that's really the marketing material here, which says we've got a product that we can uh, get through quicker, and we can we can do it cheaper, and it's a it's a good quality product. And the the real challenge is making sure that it is. All right, well let's move on. Let's talk about MB's position. As as I mentioned before, uh, MB has been very clear that at the moment councils are on their own, but uh, the regulator has consulted on the creation of a specialist framework for modular components uh, which might encompass a separate manufacturer accreditation scheme for uh, modern methods of construction but in the meantime as i say bceas are left to create their own systems and and that is happening not only is that uh, message being conveyed by mb uh, to BCA representatives direct, uh, but also in the, the determinations that have been released on the subject. And uh, one of those is, as I show you there in the slide, determination 2016 uh, 040, uh, where it has been made very clear that building work completed overseas is not building work for the purposes of the Act. And I understand that position. I, I get it. The problem is, though, that when these uh, components arrive in New Zealand and councils are required to look at them in a more holistic way and decide whether uh, the building itself complies uh, with the consent, that's where you start to get the questions of, well, how, how do we do that? So uh, I'm not surprised that councils find this uh, to be a particularly difficult situation. Uh, and it's also no surprise that we get these questions often saying, well, what do we do here and how does that work in practice? Let's talk about uh, one of those council approaches to, to modular and that's, that's Auckland Council. Now, they have created uh, what they're calling the Manufactured Modular Component Guidance and it's a document that's uh, been consulted on and is, is available for download uh, from Auckland Council's website and I know uh, that a lot of time and effort went into the creation of this document. And although it's, it's something designed for uh, Auckland 
in particular, uh, I'm I'm sure there is uh, some some takeaway points from it that others around the country can can take up. So it's a guidance document for potential building consent applicants, uh, and it's not a mandatory uh, guide at all, uh, but it strongly re recommends that this this process be followed to ensure that uh, whatever comes through the consenting uh, valve is as efficient as possible. And I think Auckland have done quite well in categorising the types of modular building work that can can arise. And yes, there may be elements which fall uh, between one of these types, but in general terms, there's uh, type one, which is all building work covered by one consent issued by Auckland Council, and that's your your lowest risk uh, situation. Type two, all building work done in New Zealand with some or all of the modular components manufactured outside of New Zealand. Type three, all building work done in New Zealand with some or all parts of the modular componentry man manufacturing outside of New Zealand. And type four, which is the one I'm particularly interested in, is uh, the manufacture of modulars uh, that all happens offshore. Those components uh, get put on a ship and uh, sent over to New Zealand and all of the building work happens here. To me, that's where most of the risk and most of the uncertainty arises. I mean, there, there are situations where building work is, is happening in factories in Christchurch or wherever and, and being shipped to Auckland. And, and yes, that's one thing. Uh, but when it's really happening in a complete different jurisdiction, uh, and uh, where, where the oversight and, and the communication challenges that arrive and, and all that sort of stuff happens. That's where uh, the, the biggest risk is. Having said that, spoken, having spoken with a lot of people who have actually visited these factories in um, Vietnam and China, the, the feedback I've got has actually been really positive in that, um, and, and Japan is another example. What's going on in Japan apparently is just next level compared to uh, to China and, and Vietnam, um, but you've got these factories which uh, have been purposely set up to to build these components, and they're being shipped all over the world, not just not just to New Zealand. And that's one of the the issues that uh, crops up in in the back of my head as a as a litigation lawyer. So, with Auckland's process in mind, um, and I, I'd encourage you to go and read it because I'm going to really paraphrase what what it contains, but the the pillars that I see in the process are as follows. So firstly, they put a lot of emphasis on the need for a pre-application meeting, and it even goes further than that, a pre-application meetings. And that's something I wholeheartedly agree with because, uh, let me just let Matthew in. Hi Matthew, welcome. If I can just, I'll just ask you to mute your um, your Zoom just so that we can uh, move move on. And um, if you've got any questions, just just sing out so unmute yourself. But we're just talking about the the Auckland Council guidance document and the the pre application uh, meeting and the, and the importance of that. And I was just saying that I 100% endorse the need for a, a pre application meeting or meetings because. It's all about setting the trajectory for how this building consent is going to, to progress. And 
it's like that the the old adage of of measure twice and, and cut once it's the same principle if you can set these these um the structure and the expectations right at the outset it's a win-win for both the bca and also for the for the applicant i've got no doubt about that um, the other key thing about the pre-application meeting is it it allows uh, council and the applicant to get the right people involved um, part of the success of these buildings i think is is having the right uh, consultants and the right people from council uh, present and and engaged so i agree uh, let me just add dave in hi dave um, so pre-application meeting essential the the next component of uh, the process is what Auckland uh, term a an MOU or a memorandum of understanding, and it sort of goes to that point that I was just discussing about setting the expectations really clear. So having a document that says, if you do this, if you do that, um, we will do this, and this is what our expectations are. It might sound like it's adding red tape to a process, but actually I think it does exactly the opposite. I think it's a, um, the, the more clarity and the better the communication is from the outset, the better the project's going to be for all involved. The really interesting part of Auckland's process, and, and it's the question that pops up uh, regularly for, for me, is um, how do we know what's going on in this factory is, uh, is going to be compliant with New Zealand Building Code? And how do we do that? Um, what, what does it actually look like? And so Auckland, they, in terms of the inspection requirement, they sort of sp split it out into two possibilities. One is a, a QA process, so independent verification coupled with a, a really solid quality assurance process can allow a council to be satisfied that um, this building work will comply with the consent and the code. Uh, so with, with third-party inspection, it can happen one of two ways. Either an independent person uh, is who would be approved by the council, in this case Auckland, uh, would go and, go and inspect what's happening. Or alternatively, the, the applicant can effectively fund a trip from a, a council inspector to go and have a look at what's going on in the factory. And... I mean, both of those processes have their strengths and weaknesses. In terms of independent verification, there's a lot of trust being placed on, on someone and a lot of uh, effort needing to be made to make sure that whoever is inspecting what's going on on site is suitably qualified uh, and, and knows the New Zealand building environment. And I think that's a real, that's a key issue is that you can be, qualified and, and capable in any jurisdiction around the world, but do you know our unique environment here in New Zealand? I mean, that's part of the reason we had the leaky building crisis is because construction that works overseas doesn't necessarily work here in New Zealand. So that's, that's one issue. The other issue is who are these people? Who are these independent, um, quote-unquote, inspectors? And, and what qualifications do they have? And, and how does that work? So... That's, that's really uh, something that, that crops up in my head. But what it does do is it saves the council a trip to Vietnam or China 
for one, uh, and, and it also presumably would be a cheaper exercise for, for the applicant. So there are positives and negatives with that. With bringing a council inspector from New Zealand to a, a country to inspect what's going on in the factory, that's where I see the potential for risk. And I understand why um, one would want to do it and that it would be much better to see what's going on in the factory with your own eyes and, and really kick the tires and have a good look and see what's, what's there. The problem if you do that is you're effectively, um, you're, instead of distancing yourself from the building work, which is not building work, uh, that's, that's happening overseas, you're really putting the council right in it. So in the event that something went wrong with this building, uh, really the council is in their boots and all in the, in the same way that it would be for your, your normal building defects claim. And we all have been involved or uh, are aware of those cases where uh, someone is sued uh, or a council is sued for the building consent being issued, carrying out of inspections and, and the CCC. So... There is risk involved in that, but there's also reward. The other th concern I have is, well, if you go in and inspect a, a pod that's that's being built on uh, the 16th of April 2020, how do you know that it's that pod that arrives in New Zealand? And that's perhaps where the, the uh, QA process comes on board and there's some really amazing technology that's, that's um, being employed at the moment, like, you know, barcodes and... Track, tracking and tracing of particular elements, even even the, uh, the the type of steel that's being used, the ability to track using uh, QR codes or barcodes right back to the source is, uh, I mean, it's an amazing time and it, it's obviously got to be encouraged. But with with anything like this, which is so um, uh, new and innovative, it's there are risks involved. And um, our job as lawyers is to point those risks out uh, to try and avoid them from, from happening. So in, in, in all, I think um, so Auckland's process is really robust and a lot of time has gone into it. And I, having um, knowing many of the people who, who were engaged in that process, I can, I can say that um, some, some really good heads have got together to create that guidance document and I'm sure it will be applicable to other BCAs around the country and, and you consultants who are, who are on the on this call will no doubt have your own views about that. Um, so I, I'm keen to keep this uh, webinar to half an hour. And so we, time is racing on. But I thought I'd just give you my view and, and I've, I've um, sort of mentioned that throughout in, in a lot of ways. But for me, and it's great to have a, an elected member on the call too, because um, I just want to make clear that I think we need to be encouraging this modern method of construction uh, or, or modern methods generally, especially as we come out of COVID-19. There is going to be a huge demand uh, and a ratcheting up of uh, the construction industry. And, and I think um, councils in particular can do their part to, to make sure that, well, to assist in that where possible. And whether we like it or not, there's no point in being um, in burying the head in the sand because this is going to, to come. And these types of buildings can be a real asset for a, a community. Um, and 
it's not just the bigger communities. And I want to make that really clear in that, um, yes, these projects which have been completed to date have, have happened in Christchurch and are, are happening in Auckland. But I'm aware of, of uh, plans to, be, to happen to the regions. And, and you've seen, I've showed you a, um, a snap already of, of something that's being planned for, for Mount Cook. So it gives you an idea that this isn't going to be technology that's only going to happen in the, in the major centres. It is going to come uh, thick and fast, I suspect, to Auckland, uh, to, to New Zealand. Uh, and it's a point I, I found quite interesting in speaking with uh, some uh, BCOs who, who are really in the thick of, of this is that, interestingly, it hasn't happened as quickly as what they thought. Um, I, I mean, I've been at conferences over the last couple of years and the, the conversation has been, well, look, we can expect this to happen quick, smart, so we've, we've got to be prepared. And, and I, I remember nodding along to those types of presentations, but it seems like um, the, uh, the, we're having to crawl before we walk and um, some of the, the projects that have been underway to date uh, have you know, issues have arisen and um, you can only hope that these projects get better and better as the processes get more streamlined. And I think councils also are starting to become more familiar uh, with, with these processes and, and the Auckland Council guidance document is, is testament to that, that we're now thinking about how we can facilitate this type of construction and get it done well uh, without adding unnecessary red tape but ensuring that our regulatory processes are, are robust. And as a lawyer who only acts for councils effectively, um, I've, I've seen that happen where uh, there's, there's a, a real push to, to drop the red tape. But when you drop the red tape, uh, some criticise you for not having enough red tape. So it's a, it's a bit of a lose-lose argument there for, for councils, but that, that balance needs to be always needs to be struck and and I'll be really interested to hear some of the consultants views on that does anyone um, just stopping on that moment for a for a, for a second does anyone have any any views on um, on red tape and and uh, or, or how how these products and how these buildings could actually be advantageous to to all of our regions I mean Dave do you have a view Nathan I have a comment Great. Um, so I've I've been involved with a um, a rather large modular commercial project for the last two years, um, and we encountered a lot of challenges getting consent through four different councils, but we we managed eventually. But now I'm in discussion with some some other modular manufacturers, and and one of them you've shown quite a few slides of of their projects, and um, and you know the biggest thing that that I find concerning is 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 the current sort of position where MBI at? You know, yeah, you know, we talk about the reform, and they sort of came out with, with uh, I guess in November last year, I think it was, with with what the intention is around modern methods of construction. They talk about a, I guess, a certification program for manufacturers with no real context behind that, but no real timeline either as to as to when we can get sort of a, a standard way of dealing with MMC within New Zealand. And so, yeah, so there's more and more responsibility being put onto the councils to lead the process, which to me doesn't create a consistent approach. And, and that's the difficulty I found is, is when I worked through 
the same development with four different councils, there were different questions, a different approach in each instance. And and so what's happening is it's creating a lot of confusion within the market and a lot of difficulty and challenges for those manufacturers and a lot of unfair risk on the manufacturers too, who ultimately also have commercial objectives. Um, and yeah, that's that's the, the part that, that seems to be lacking is that if MB can, can lead the process and guide the councils, it would make it a lot easier for everyone. Well, well said, Jason. I really appreciate that. Um, I've I've been sort of tiptoeing around that issue, uh, <laughs> both here and and um, in other forums. But look, the the reality is, I um, I don't mind rattling the cages with with MB. Uh, generally, um, when we do you know determinations, for instance, that's that's sort of our job is to try and push them along because you're 100 percent right. This guidance should be coming from above and not there shouldn't be a reliance on each BCA to work out their own process on, on how to do this. I mean, we've known for the last, well, at least the last three years I've been going to conferences um, with, with MB present and, and this, this issue has been discussed. And so we're, we're being told that it's, it's in the works and that's great. Um, it, it would just be really, it'd be good to know when and, and what it, what it all looks like. Um, I mean, I know that MB endorse Auckland's process. So I suppose that's, that's one um, bit of guidance, but Auckland's process isn't going to be uh, the, the process for everyone. And I know that's the case. I mean, some of the smaller regions wouldn't have the ability to take some of the risks that some of the bigger BCAs do it's just it's just natural so that's the reason why you you're getting different processes the other thing is you know some of the bcas are are experienced with these mmc projects now because they've a couple have been through the uh, the till already whereas w when you're at a um a bca wherever and this pops up on your desk you go gosh how, how do i get this off the ground so I 100% agree with you, Jason, and it's it's great to have the perspective from the industry too, because I I hear a lot from the councils, you know, mainly. Um, but it's good to hear that there's the the commercial uh, from on the commercial side of things. You you're well, there's there's um, sort of issues to be resolved on that side too. Does anyone have any other views on on that? I guess we're. Um issue I have uh, with processing for a number of different councils is some that will do a risk-based consenting and some are more rigid consenting process um, and it's getting that consistency for the clients um, because you may deal with when you're um, dealing with modular um, which I've done a couple of now one council might want a whole lot of information while the other council's happy with uh, very little and that can be very confusing for the client as well and as well for the processor and um, when you're dealing with risk-based consenting they're not giving you clear guidelines on what they want with the risk base which can put them at a high level of risk and I, f I actually find the smaller councils are probably the worst for that because it's a smaller community and they don't want to upset the apple cart. Mm. Mm. Yeah that, that's right it's, in, in some ways it's the um, it's the fear of the unknown that when this thing pops up, it's like, well, we, we haven't done that. So, you know, the natural reaction is to to throw every possible um, protection in, in front of it, which is different than than some of these, you know, the bigger 
BCAs are, are approaching it as. So yeah, no, good, good point. Thanks for that, Matt. Anyone else? Sorry, Dave, you had your, um, you had your mute off. I, I did, but um, I, I, I haven't dealt with a lot of these um, modular consents. Um, but uh, similar to Matthew, um, yeah, the councils vary, vary a lot with uh, what they require um, in regards to the level of information that they need. So if, if we get some consistency across the board, that would be certainly beneficial for from our point of view as, we, as we're processing those things. Um, but even as the uh, last comment that was made by uh, forget the other chap his name, he just commented. Um, okay, so, yeah. At the end of the day, it's 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 really not council's it's not council's role to make make decisions on alternative systems. Mm. Um, that that's really up to the applicant. So the applicant really needs to really get their homework in, in line. They need to do their their own research and ensure that the information and the level of information they're providing to council is robust. So we can we can make those right decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the feedback I've heard, or obviously from the from the council side, is is that at that first pre app meeting, uh, what comes in is you know looks great. So you you've got the the glossy magazine that that shows an amazing project, but the details of you know how this this particular detail is going to work is is a bit lacking. So I think there is from both sides there is just that that need for for more clarity around what is being built and not just what how are you going to do it that's the other feedback i've had okay that looks great but when you get that here and you need to assemble it on site um how does how do you do that because the tolerance the tolerances are just um something that you know builders have have never had to deal with before so how is it going to work when you when you're trying to assemble these pods which are perfect on a um on a foundation that needs to be you know better than what they normally are yeah nathan can i add there like um having having had to submit um consents for multiple applications for the same design what we learnt um, is that the level of information, the way you present your information to the councils is different to conventional construction. Um, you almost land up producing more information, which creates more confusion. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. It's, 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 you kind of need to present the information differently so they can actually demonstrate um, the process of, of how it's going to be constructed or assembled in site, but also clearly demonstrate, you know, what is the scope of, of the module that's coming from offshore from a different city and what is the scope of what's been built? And it needs to be clearly shown, you know. And and what we did find, and, and what you've sort of said before, that sort of that that early sort of uh, pre-application meetings really helped in terms of determining what we needed to show. And and certainly, like my experience, like with Christchurch City Council, was actually a very good one. You know, in those discussions, we were able to clearly define what they wanted, how they wanted to see it, and they defined extra requirements, which which almost sort of was similar to that sort of uh, product technical statement that sort of yes. Auckland Council has, has sort of indicated that they want, you know. Um, but the problem is, is as we've, we keep saying, is the consistency is, is that you're currently going to different councils. Each council is now being forced to make their own decisions or, or define their own processes. And, and what it does is it's putting risk on everybody, on the developer, on the council, you know, because everyone's having to make a call as to, as to how do they approach this. And unfortunately, you know, when you're dealing with the manufacturer in China or something, they've got one process. 
they can't they can't make a bespoke process for a different council. Um, no. So you know the, the information needs to be consistent that we're showing, um, and that's the key. You know, mm. I, I'm interested from from those who who aren't at council. What um, you know, ha, have you been consulted or have you been in touch with MB? Ha, has that direction? Because I know it has come from from the BCA, but I just wonder whether those who are processing externally um, have have mentioned the issue. No. Jason, have you, have you been in touch with the government? We had um, very brief meetings with MB uh, when we sort of got involved in, in the project um, to look at a multi-proof consent uh, rather than going through an individual consent for the modules for with each council. And um, and the problem was it was just adding more risk to the project because mm -hmm. it was adding more time and, and we'd, we'd sort of engaged too late. Um, but I, I am speaking to another company at the moment who's been going through a multi-proof consent process for a multi-story modular offshore manufactured project where it's been going through the consent application for nine months and eventually withdrawn and they're reapplying with a different strategy, which, you know, you, nine months is just too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's... Um the, yeah, the, I mean, it's great to have that feedback because it, it's sounding like what everyone's wanting is clarity from from the top, um, and and yeah, everyone on on both sides of the the equation are after the same thing, which is good. And I mean, it, it brings me back to the point I made earlier about how um, how important these these buildings actually are, um, in that. You know, for a small community to have a building which is so innovative and and new come to town is, I would have thought, a really positive thing and something that that should be encouraged. But the natural reaction is to say, "Oh, look, it's it's tricky, so we're going to throw everything in 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 front of it." But um, I mean, does anyone have a view on that? Is is this something that we should be encouraging or? Do we all want our single level weatherboard homes? Like, what's the what's the appetite in the market? Do you think? I think we should be encouraging um, these alternative solutions and um, modular homes. I mean, um, I've seen them on um, on some overseas programs where they're building. They turn up um, it almost as a kit set with the linings on, electricity in the. Um, it's making construction a lot quicker. Um, again, it's just having that open mind to how we process it and um, eliminate the risk, of, you know, as you say, in the factories where they're getting built because you can't see often the connection details that have been done. Um, so, but uh, definitely I can see it moving forward and especially if they're planning on emergency housing, getting a lot more houses up quickly, that's definitely the way to go. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to just survey on you know the promise of quicker, cheaper, whether that has actually played out so far. Um, Nathan, I think we've got to be careful. You know, a lot of people say it's it's more, it's cheaper, you know, but I think the way people have got to approach modular is that um, you can effectively buy potentially a better performing building for the same price. Um, that's that's the way we should be approaching it because ultimately, you know, the the real economical benefit is in volume, um, and because because you got the volume on the end of this of of the the process, 
you can put more money up in the front, you know, so you can actually put money into what, what's going into those buildings and how it's been designed, um, which is different from our conventional construction, which, you know, generally in New Zealand are very poor performing buildings, yeah. you know, and, and I think, you know, to me, the real thing is the challenges with MMC in New Zealand is three things. It's culture, you know, we, we know our, our sort of timber frame buildings. Um, there's a lot of monopolies that sort of push timber supplies in this, this country and, and keep pushing that angle. The, the consenting is a major challenge that, that needs to be addressed, you know, and, and we need some consistency and a, a, a sort of a one approach for the entire country. And then the last thing is, is I guess, funding. You know, it's, it's difficult to find anything that you're buying overseas. You're certainly not going to go to the bank and get a, a mortgage for it. So, you know, for the common man who wants to build a house with a different approach, it's, it's not that achievable. Uh, but obviously, where the commercial projects come on board, that's, that's suddenly where the funding models can change, you know. Um, but, but what I find interesting is, is why... Is it different in New Zealand to, to other countries? Why can they de develop the tallest multi-story modular building in New York out of Poland and um, we can't buy something out of China and develop it here in, in um, New Zealand and, and be faced with a lot of red tape challenges? Um, I guess typically with that, um, with a lot of the Chinese products that have come into our market and are sold on different sites, uh, particularly around plumbing, they are quite inferior products. Same with the uh, the steel; um, they're not up to what would normally be used within New Zealand. Um, and, but I guess too, the other thing to consider now with the current environment is how easy it is going to be to get stuff in from China, and, and uh, with business people trying to now um, promote work within New Zealand to try and get our economy up. Yeah, but isn't that just perception, Matthew, that we're buying a cheap, a, a poorer product from China? You know, I mean, no, I've seen some of the bigger economies in the world. So, I've seen it. Just, been doing inspections. Is that just because the people who have been bringing it in have been trying to undercut everyone else and not doing it to the volume to get the higher quality things out of China? Quite possibly. Morning, uh, afternoon to you guys. Morning, everyone. It's great to have Shay Harrop on the on the call. You're a wee bit late, Shay. We're we're wrapping up, but yeah, it's good to have you here nonetheless. <laughs> well, actually, Shay, before we um before we move off, I mean, you've got a very interesting perspective on this, having visited some of these um, factories yourself, right? Yeah, I've been to a couple of factories now. And what what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, I saw the good, bad, and the ugly. So um, there was some stuff that was completely amazing. And yeah, the quality of steel was far superior to things that I've seen in New Zealand when inspecting. But to say that, um, some of those buildings weren't going to New Zealand. They were going to places like Iceland and things like that who have been doing, I guess, the trades with these guys for a lot longer. Um, look, we'll, we'll wrap it up now. But the, the key message for me to take away from this as a, as a lawyer is... <laughs> I think the the real crux of it is getting it right from the outset. So, and that's on both sides of the equation. So that's making sure that the documentation coming in from the applicant is um, as expected, and uh, for for the council having um, well one an open mind and 
and, and two, a robust process and the right people in place to make sure it's successful and being able to communicate that. And I, I, re, I appreciate that this is sort of 101 type stuff, but everything of all of the complaints I've heard about MMC have been on that basis that um, we've asked for this and we haven't been given it. Or um, as Jason says before, uh, there's, there's a lack of consistency. So it's that expectations, having, having everyone's expectations align is, is the key to a successful project, I think. Um, and and it's, it's, it's not that hard. It's just, it's just and it will, it will develop as we, as we keep um, pushing through and with a little bit more experience. But, I mean, from my point, I think MMC is, these sorts of buildings need to be encouraged and they will be because they will be, they will be successful as long as we get the, the process right. So, um, unless, does anyone have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I don't know what's been covered, so I won't say too much, but um, I'd just like to build on that a little and just say it, um, it definitely is about getting those expectations sorted up front from what I've been dealing with like back when I was in Tauranga and then since I've been here in Asia. Um, because the thing is, over here, they'll say yes to everything, but if they don't know what you're asking, all you're getting is a yes, not what you've actually asked for. Um, so I'll, I'll wrap this up now, but so just for, for those of you who I haven't met before, um, a couple of things that, yeah, we, we have this sort of fortnightly podcast where we share these, these types of things. So, um, feel free to jump on Spotify or Apple music, um, and, and subscribe to that. Uh, the other thing is we do a, um, a regularly, a regular newsletter mail out. So perhaps, um, what you could do is just shoot me an email with your, details and i can add you to the list it's it's not a spam thing we i think we do a newsletter once a month or something like that um but some quite good insights on the on the industry and you know we're lucky because we get the benefit of talking to people up and down the up and down the country so um we tend to be on the on the on the pulse of what's going on um and otherwise really appreciate you joining um and thanks a lot and i hope you've got something out of it so I will sign off now and thanks everyone. Cheers Thank guys. You. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed episode three. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can uh, get notified for next week's edition uh, which is going to be a really interesting interview with Jeff Ferenson from Auckland Council where we discuss again uh, modern methods of construction but also his fascinating uh, backstory as a professional rugby player in Germany of all places. So thanks again for joining really appreciate it and if you do want a copy of the PowerPoint or you, if you want to be uh, joined to our newsletter mail out list then just flick me an email nathan at ricebeer.co.nz